Well, good morning. My name is Ben and I'm joining you from the rather cold Jubilee Centre. And it's my opportunity and privilege to bring the Word of God to us today. Um, shortly, we'll get into James 5 again. But before that, a little bit of a peek behind the scenes about how the different preachers end up with the different passages. Dan, behind the scenes, has done lots of research and lots of study and has segregated it and separated it out into different passages. And then sometimes you'll allocate passages to people, but other times they'll say, well, you pick your passage you want. You go for it. If you fancy that, you go for it. With this one today, I picked it because it worked with my calendar. I knew I'd have a free few weeks leading up to recording this today. And so I went for it. And guess what? After Bless Ham preached a couple of weeks ago, I was rather glad I didn't get that one. And this one was a single verse, one verse, verse 12 in chapter five. So I was like, whoop, whoop. Yep, got an easy job here. Thanks very much, everybody. And then I read the verse. It was personally very challenging. But that's the word of God, isn't it? One verse can challenge us. And I'm hoping that's going to be the case for you guys today as it has been for me. It's one verse, but it is a very important verse in the book of James. And we'll get to it in a minute. It is the last of the do nots. Have you noticed James is quite a fan of the do nots? I don't know whether you've noticed that or whether you're getting a bit fed up of it or not, but here's the deal. Do nots are good. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to attend Nat and Andy Bond's wedding. A beautiful day, beautiful affair, and the reception was located out in the peaks. It was wonderful and lovely, and it was in a teepee, and there was a, uh, a fire pit, and there was a pond within the, 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 the teepee itself, and just outside there was a, a grassy slope leading to some fields, and there was a lovely buffet with the food out on display, and we went to the wedding with a baby and a toddler. So if you put a toddler and a fire pit together, not a great combination. Toddler and a pond, still not good. Toddler and a muddy bank, not the greatest. Toddler and a buffet with food out and you have to wait for a couple of hours before you can eat it. All not very good. So I had to sit down with our toddler, with Isabel and say, look, here are some do nots. You do not put your head or your face or any part of your body in the fire. In fact, we're not going near the fire pit at all. And when it comes to the pond, you're staying well away from that. Don't climb over the fence. Don't try and jump in it. It's not a very big puddle. It's an actual pond. You will drown and get wet and get very cold. Don't go near the food. It's, it's not dangerous, but it's just not done on a wedding day. And the muddy slope, well, you're not going to hurt yourself, but in your, in your beautiful dress, let's not go there either. And I could have sounded like a fun sucker, and that's the accusation I get quite regularly within my family. But I wasn't. I was protecting my child. I was saying, do not do this because it is dangerous. It's not good for you. It's not the right thing to do. At Christmas... Our family received this present. That's not the, that's my mouth. It's not the effect it actually makes. Um, this is Extreme Uno. You're probably familiar with Uno, but maybe not Extreme Uno. When we got it, even though I played Uno before and Extreme Uno before, I wanted to check the rules. Why? 
because I wanted to know what I could do and what I shouldn't do. And I discovered this rather perturbing rule. It said this, if you advise another player on what card they should play, then you have to press the button, which means this happens. You get lots of cards fired at you. And if you've ever played Uno, you know that lots of cards are not a good thing. I wanted to know what I shouldn't do so I could have fun and so I could win the game. And we can also look at the life of Jesus. The son of God, surely he walked in true freedom. And yet in that moment in the garden of Gethsemane, when he's considering the cup, when he's considering the cross, when he's considering the pain and suffering he's about to undergo for you and for me, he says this to the Father, please, if it is possible, let this cup be taken away from me, yet not my will, but yours. What are the boundaries, Father? What should I be doing? What should I not be doing? Where should I be going? That was Jesus' cry. He only did what he saw the Father doing. And so we can come to this passage and we can come to James and think, it's full of do nots. Where's the life in that? But you see, restriction and prohibition are the boundaries for true life to be created because God's our father, we're his children. He has the best in mind for us. You see, it's a chance to be challenged. It's a chance to hear from God about where we shouldn't go, what's not safe for us. It's a chance to find out the rules and how to win the game, to not get extra cards fired at you. And it's a chance to walk in true life as we commit ourselves to God and his will and his plans. So when we come to a do not, part of us should be sad that it's the last one because these give life, they help us know where God would have us be and how he would have us live our lives. Anyway, let's get to that verse. James 5, verse 12. Above all, brothers and sisters, do not swear. Not by heaven or by earth, nor by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. We're gonna walk through this this morning. We're gonna look at what we should and shouldn't be doing, where true life can be found. So come with me. Let's see what it has to say. And James starts with these two words, above all. Did you notice that? Above all. What do you mean, James? Are you saying above all the things in the last few verses? Are you saying above all the things in the whole of this book? Above all the things in the Bible? Well, we don't really know, but we do know this. James really wants to make sure that we listen to this verse, not to skip over because it's just one verse. It has as much to say as any verse in the rest of his book. But he wants to underline it. He wants to highlight it above all, brothers and sisters. And what does he say? Do not swear. Now, that doesn't mean don't say naughty words. 
which is a good thing not to do anyway. I was having a chat with one of my children even yesterday and they were asking, why is this word, which I won't repeat, a swear word, Daddy, because it only means this. So it's the same word, isn't it? Why is it a swear word? I didn't really have an answer otherwise it is, so don't say it. James is not saying don't say naughty words, but don't say naughty words. He's saying don't swear by heaven or by earth or anything else. It's about taking oaths. It's about swearing by heaven or earth that I will do this. I've committed to this. I will do this. I swear by heaven or by earth or by anything else. And James is saying that's what we shouldn't be doing. He's saying we shouldn't be appealing to a higher source or power to ratify or strengthen our words or our promise so that people know we really mean it. We can have that a little bit. The modern day equivalent I can reflect on maybe in school times. I swear on my mother's life, I did not pick my nose. It, it, I was scratching it. I swear down, man. I swear I was just scratching. I wasn't picking my nose. We can have that kind of swearing. We appeal to something else. You say, no, no, you can trust me because I'm swearing by this. I swear I'm telling the truth. This is what Jesus says in Matthew. Chapter 23, verse 16. Woe to you, blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You see, the Jews had a system of oaths where they could make an oath and commit to something, apparently, but in fact, they would let themselves off. If you made an oath by the temple, it didn't mean anything, but by the gold in the temple, well, you had to stick to it there. We kind of have it a little bit when we say, do you promise? We raise the stakes. You've said that, but do you promise? It's not a system of oaths in the same way, but we allocate different levels of honesty to words. They're the words that we promise. But James is saying, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And he's just reinforcing what Jesus taught earlier in Matthew, chapter 5, verses 34 to 37. But I tell you, do not swear on earth at all, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by the earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. James and Jesus, do not swear by heaven. Do not take oaths. Do not make oaths. But let your yes be yes and your no be no. Or, in James's case, you'll be condemned. Or, in Jesus' case, anything beyond this is from the evil one. Why so bad? Why is it from the evil one? Why will we be condemned? The word condemned, or in other translations, it comes out judged or received judgment, fall into judgment. That word has its roots in hypocrisy, 
and deception and putting on a face or playing a role or acting or not being true to yourself. You see, when we make an oath or a promise, what we're actually saying is our normal words cannot be trusted or I cannot normally be trusted. So I need to make an oath or a promise. Over the last 12 months, January to December, I took part um, in something organised by Resound Worship called the 12 Song Challenge, whereby each month there was set a topic or a style, but a challenge to write a song. Great fun. And at the end of the year, there was an online Zoom concert, which myself and Mark Willoughby took part in. And um, I prepared for it. I got my lyrics and chords out, I practiced, I made sure it sounded good, I got my audio interface set up, a nice fancy mic, my guitar plugged in, I did a sound check, I tested it all out. And if I'd have done all that, and then this would have happened, if I'd left the mute button on, my preparation, my energies, my practice would have been a waste of time because nobody would have heard what I had to say. Nobody would have heard the song. You see, we can live a life for God. We can spend our time in his presence. We can worship him. We can spend our time in his word, learning and getting hold of it. We can study. All these things are wonderful and essential. But in terms of the glory of God in our lives, in terms of what other people see, if our words can't be trusted, it's like doing a performance with a mute on. It's kind of a waste of time. There's that old story of the boy that cried wolf. Two or three times he'd call the villagers down and say, there's a wolf, come and help me, there's a wolf, come and help me. But there wasn't, he was playing a trick. He was being deceptive, he wasn't being trustworthy. So when he, a wolf actually came and he cried for help, it wouldn't come because people no longer had confidence in his words. As Christian believers walking in this world, if people can't have confidence in our words, how can we build an effective platform for the gospel? How can we preach the good news? How can our friends believe what we say about Jesus if they look at our lives and see that we're slightly deceptive or inconsistent or our words don't match what we say we will do? I read this comment on this passage this week. Truthfulness should be the absolute norm for those who trust in Christ. A simple yes or no should be completely binding since deception is never an option for us. If an oath is required to convince someone of our honesty or intent to be faithful, it suggests we may not be known for telling the truth in other circumstances. 
I commented before on the two words that start this verse, above all. We're saying, why, James? Why is this above all? Well, I think if we glance back through James, we see what he's getting at here. It ties it all together. You see, we look in James and we see that he says that faith requires deeds. You can't just believe. Actions show that you believe. You work it out through deeds. But he also says this, true religion is when you keep a tight rein on your tongue, on what you say. It's connected. Faith, actions, and deeds and your words. He tops this off by saying this, all you need is a simple yes or no. Genuine faith is not just believing God. It's not even doing the things that show that you believe in God. It's not just saying the things, it's being totally trustworthy in what we say. Being entirely truthful and trustworthy in what we say. Now, what does that look like in reality? What does that look like in terms of our energy? Well, fundamentally, when we look at this passage, it means this. We don't invest our energies into swearing the right oaths or making the right promises or articulating appropriately what we think we will do. It's not about articulation, it's about integrity. It's about letting your yes be yes and your no being no. It's been entirely trustworthy with our words. But what does it mean for us? That there's surely an application to everyday life, I'm sure. When the kids say, can we go to the playground? And we say, maybe, when we mean no, because we don't want to say no now, we'll say no later. Those sort of everyday life, I'm sure there's application there. But when we come to oaths, actually, we want to get a direct application. If we want to look into what James was getting at, it's those big things. You don't make an oath about something small. An oath is about something big. It's a commitment. So what are the commitments that you've made that you're not following through on? What are the commitments that I've made that I'm not following through on? What have I said that I didn't mean? Or what have I said that I meant and I'm no longer doing? One of the key areas this could be if you're married. You probably made some vows saying that you'd love your marriage partner for better or for worse. Well, maybe it's a worse season. Are you still loving them sacrificially? Are you still giving yourself to them sacrificially? Are you making sure that your words are entirely trustworthy, even if they were made decades ago? What about contracts and agreements? They may be in uh, housing, or in the business place? Are you sticking to them? Are you sticking to what you've agreed? Have you, are you letting your yes be yes and your no be no? What about at work or at school? Right, James, your homework should be in. Where is it? Oh, Miss, uh, I forgot about it. I'll get it done for tomorrow when you have no intention of doing it for tomorrow. 
or with friends that you're committed to work on a project on. Oh, you do this bit. Oh, yeah, I'll do that. It's fine. And then you've no intention of doing it. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And one other area that might sound a little bit superficial and maybe isn't as big as oaths, but I think it is really important is this whole culture of best friends forever. That falls into the category that we looked at the end of chapter four in that it perhaps is outside of our control as to who would be our best friends forever. But let your yes be yes and your no be no. Say what you mean. If you value a friendship, by all means, comment on that. Can you really commit to being best friends forever? I'm not too sure. Well, it's been one verse, but it's been a challenging verse, hasn't it? And it's been a do not verse, but it's a do not that brings life. It brings power. It brings effectiveness. It takes our attention away from oaths and promises and brings it on to truthfulness and trustworthiness. And it brings us into a place of recognizing we can build an effective platform for the gospel. If people look at our lives and think, wow, I can trust them. They are truthful. Then when we begin to speak about Jesus, when we begin to declare the goodness of Christ, when we begin to say, he's the one who's died for you, he exists, I've met him, he's done this for me, he's healed me. They don't cast doubt on your words. It gives it greater emphasis and greater power because you've been someone through your friendship and through your life where your yes has been your yes and your no has been your no. You've walked in a trustworthy way. You've spoken in a trustworthy way. There's been no deception. There's been no deceit. There's been no subtle changing, no twisting of words. Straightforward truth. Yes or no. All you need to say is a simple yes or no.